The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on the YesNetwork.com and on the iTunes Podcast Network. Don't forget you could uh, subscribe to this uh, heaping, humping pile of a dumpster fire of a podcast <laughs> by going to iTunes and uh, typing in The Chris Sheeran Show and hitting subscribe, and it goes to your smart devices, and that makes you extremely intelligent. I did call it a dumpster fire, but it, it's pretty much the well, hashtag well, that this show. What I was gonna say is that, like, by. if you know how on Facebook they have those things like review your year, is that like the adjectives we've used most on the yeah, Christian show this year? Heating and dumpster fire. Uh, NFC East, uh, we have you to thank for that. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. End of the Yankees season in September was pretty much a dumpster fire. Mm. Uh, um, there's one raging on the corner of Atlantic and Flatbush right now. Oh, yeah. Let, let's talk about that. Doug Williams and I were always about the segue, and that was a pretty good one right That there. was a good one right there. Um, Doug, he, you know, he knows the industry. And, and here's, here's, the, here's the thing that's most concerning to me, is that the team continues to fight. I, one of uh, – we, we must be nets on Twitter, uh, I follow a lot of the diehard net fans. They follow me, obviously. They watch the pre- and post-game shows. Uh, they are extremely in tune with this team. And We Must Be Nets also listens to the podcast. Hi, We Must Be Nets. Yes, and he, he brought up on Twitter the fact that I said this team does nothing but fight on the podcast on Thursday and then that Friday – Got drilled by over 20 points by the Knicks. They, they do nothing but fight. Unfortunately, the problem is they're Tanner Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> 90% of the time. Yeah. So here's the thing. They have – I don't want to call him a superstar, but they have a star player in Brooke Lopez. They really do. The guy, he's seven feet tall. I wish he would play in the paint more instead of taking 18-foot jump shots. Uh, Jarrett Jack, a great player. Backup. He, he's not a starting point guard. And that's not a shot at Jarrett Jack. He's in the NBA. I get it. He, he's, he wouldn't be a starting point guard on any other team in the league. There's 450 players in the NBA. They all belong there, but right. that doesn't mean there's some that aren't better than the, others. This is not, we're not taking shots at these guys. I mean, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was a huge loss. And, and if, if you say that, if you hear that come out of your mouth, and you're a Nets fan, and the rookie that you traded for on draft night is a huge loss at what what was it 24 24 yeah that's a problem <laughs> well that's a big problem it, it really is and and it's going to be a big problem if somebody you know somebody else gets hurt and by that somebody i mean Brooke Lopez and Brooke. Thaddeus Young we we often on hot stove days the research team is all here and I'm here and we we often get together after the production meetings and just have discussions about any random topics usually baseball because it's hot stove but you know anything that comes around we, we do about once a week um, I know Jeff Quagliata our research guru looks forward to that sometimes to hear us babble on but we somehow got into the nets yesterday. And we were trying to figure out who is the more irreplaceable player. And the funny thing is, is despite the fact that you said all you've said about him and what he's done over the last year, and despite the fact that Thaddeus Young is the better player, it's Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Because at least if Thaddeus Young goes down, yes, he's been the Nets' best player arguably this year. 
But you have options. Andrea Bargnani fits a little better at the four. Thomas Robinson is a four. You can play small and go with two-point guards and Bogdanovich, and Johnson can maybe play a little stretch four against a smaller team or something of that realm. You know, If Rondé was healthy, maybe he could play a stretch four the way Paul Pierce kind of did a little bit in the past for Brooklyn. Brooke Lopez goes down. Your backup center is Willie Reed. And that's not a slight on Willie Reed. It's Andrea Bargnani. Well, really. Really, but he's not really. He's not a center. He's another seven-footer that would rather be Dirk Nowitzki than Shaq. Correct. So realistically, your backup, you know, prime in the middle guy is Willie Reed. And again, nothing against Willie Reed, but if you were playing in the summer league earlier this year for a team that wasn't the Nets. I don't even think you have to put a qualifier on Come on. You don't. Brooke Lopez is 35 to 40% of the team's offensive output on a nightly basis. Mm -hmm. Willie Reed is not giving you that. Willie Reed Sorry. is 35 to 40% of the non-minutes played. Sorry, Willie. It's just yeah. fact. I mean, Brooke Lopez is a dynamic offensive player. And the scary thing about Brooke is he still has room to grow. Yeah. And he's in his, what, eighth year? And he still has room to grow. It, it's amazing. I, I, he's got the outside shot. He's starting to cut to, to the basket and starting to dunk, which is a nice <laughs> Which is a nice uh, sight if you're a Net fan or if you're a person that covers the team. Hello. Uh, it's just nice to see if a point guard is going towards the basket. Brooke isn't cementing himself out 18 to 20 feet away waiting for a chest-high pass to take that 18 to 20-foot jump shot. He's starting to cut more to the basket and use his 7-foot frame and throw it down on the defense. I mean, this is what you want from your 7-footer. Yeah, You want him to clear space in the lane. You want him to be there. Now, look, the Nets don't really have a perimeter threat. That's true. And why do you need Brooke down low if you don't really have a perimeter threat? And I think that's why he does take as many outside shots as he does. But when your seven-footer is out there taking those shots, mm -hmm. who's down there besides Daddy's Young rebounding? Nobody. Exactly. And when you had Reggie Evans or somebody like that, you know, who knew that was he his knew role. his role. Th that's a little less painful, for lack of a better word. But, you know, and you don't have that perimeter shooter. Wayne Ellington definitely was supposed to be that, and he hasn't been. And now that he's, you know, kind of hurt, he's definitely not that. So, I don't know. You know, who, you know who might know a little bit more about this, speaking of segues, is our good friend Devin. As we live and breathe, it's Devin Carparian of thebrooklyngame.com, and you're alive. Thank goodness, Devin. Yes. Today is a beautiful day, again, because I'm alive to watch the Brooklyn Nets play. And, and you're a little under the weather. I was a little worried about you. I, I, <laughs> I get my news updates uh, on Twitter. I saw you were questionable with the flu. I just want to make sure you're okay now. Yes. So I, I um, uh, another reporter, who will not be named right. on this podcast, right. uh, came to Barclay Center with a sickness. And I said, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're sick. You should be home and resting. And obviously, I got his sickness. And then even more obviously, I did the exact same thing and went to the arena with sickness because I had work to do. So given, now I get it. Given the state of the Nets beat, that narrows it down to two guys, unless it was <laughs> someone else. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy. You, you can kind of guess that you can figure it out by process of elimination. Yeah. Was he tall or short? That's, all, that's the only question I need to know. He's um, shorter than me. I'll leave it at that. Well, okay. there we go. We have our winner. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Anyway, uh, we're just talking about Brooklyn and, you know, uh, just the 
pretty much the mud that they're trudging through right now. Try, you know, they, the, the homestand started out like the date started out on Love Connection. You know, the date started <laughs> out great, Chuck, but then after that, everything went to hell. Um, and that's pretty much what we're at right now. But what, what I want to get your thoughts on, Devin, you know, it's not even cryptic. Lou and I were saying this yesterday. Uh, before we decided to grab you and talk to you about this. And it's like Lionel's being a little cryptic, but at the same time, he's speaking the truth. So, it, it, you know, it's not something you have to read between the lines. He just speaks He speaks what's on, its mi- on his mind. But at the same time, you're sitting there saying, okay, something's not right. Something's a little funky. He said he wanted the players to foul. All the players said, well, you know, so what the hell is going on in that locker room? Right. Right, and that's the weird part. So the, the, at least this point we can get past the, is Lionel Hollins going to take blame for this? Because that's usually the first step. And he has taken the blame for this one, which is, is fair. And now we can get to the next thing, which is like, why didn't anyone, like, what, how, where was that miscommunication? Because you have to realize, this isn't just like a one-game thing. This isn't just, you know, uh, this game against the Heat, they messed up a play. And, and think about who was on the floor at that time. It was Boyan Bogdanovich, Jarrett Jack, Thaddeus Young, Brooke Lopez, and Joe Johnson. These are all guys that have been with Holland for more than just this year. These aren't guys who shouldn't know or don't maybe not know yet what Lionel Holland wants to do in crunch time. You know, Thaddeus came on in February, and, you know, they played a lot of close games then, too. Like, everybody, like, they should have a sense of, like, okay, we're down five, 35 seconds left, what are we going to do? And so I don't know if that's a failure of Lionel or a failure of the players, but there's definitely some sort of miscommunication and, you know, something that should have been figured out maybe a long time ago, that's not working now. And that, that to me, is the weird part of it all. So, someone I was speaking to, Dev, basically said this about Lionel. They were watching the Heat game the other night, and he said, you know, you look at the last 30, 40 seconds of that game, and Chris and I talked about this yesterday, too, and Lionel was kind of standing there watching, which, yeah. I mean, when you're a coach, yeah, obviously you have to watch the game, but, he, I mean, it, he was almost a passive bystander, it seemed, and then what, what, what else the person I was talking to mentioned is when you, you look at him in postgame, I, I mean, you know, PJ always used to read the stat sheet or Avery or, 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 you know, all the guys that have coached in Brooklyn in the last three years. He looks at it, reads it, throws off a couple of numbers, throws out a, like, half-hearted anecdote, and that seems to be, like, his analysis on what's going on. Like, it almost seems like he, to, to a lot of people that he's a passive bystander at this point as opposed to a coach. Yeah, and that was kind of a strange part, too. So we, I watched it again in the media room after the game, and only at about 30 seconds does the camera show Lionel, and he's just standing there doing nothing. And I spoke with someone who was close and saw him the entire time, and said I was watching the entire time. He didn't give any direction. So, you know, and it's funny because you see Bogdanovich looking back at him three, four times. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You see Jarrett Jack throwing his hands up in the air in frustration. And Jarrett Jack, you know, for his many flaws and, and strengths, He's not a guy who's going to say like call out coaching. He's not a guy who's going. He's, he's a very good team player. He's not a guy who does who says stuff like that. And you see him just you know completely throwing his hands up like I don't know what you want me to do. And at the end of the game, he says there's a failure on our side to communicate and their side to communicate, meaning coaching. So you know it's it's weird, and it's funny that you mentioned Lionel too because that is very much the Lionel Holland post coach game. He looks at the stat sheet, says we had a good game, X amount of turnovers, X field goal percentage. I thought. You know, player wide should have done something more, and then he takes questions. It's very, it's very much like uh, standard, and and it's weird to me that you know, he. I, I was thinking back a couple years ago uh, when the Nets played the Spurs. You might not remember this game. I think it was a Jason Kidd year, and the Nets were up two, 
and had the ball, and uh, there was like 10 seconds in the shot clock. And Greg Popovich is screaming at Danny Green, don't foul, don't foul, don't foul. And Danny Green fouls. And, and then you see Greg Popovich going to this huge tirade, screaming at Danny Green, I told you not to foul. Now, you don't necessarily like to scream at your players, but if you want to communicate something to him, you can't do it by osmosis or telepathy. <laughs> and I was wondering where you were going with that, and the payoff was great. Yeah, yeah, the payoff was that. that, that if, you ever, if, you, if you don't remember that video, just go back and look up Greg Popovich curses out Danny Green. It's, it's incredible. He looks like angry Santa. Um, but, 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 I mean, look, but, but in all seriousness, he looks like that you know, all the time. He has to say something in that situation. You know, he's the coach. You have to direct, direct, direct. He has to coach. And it didn't, it, there was something very strange about watching with the sidelines totally still. Like, he wasn't even distra- He said he was distracted, but he was looking right at the play. So I don't know what distracted him. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. The only wonder uh, you can really have is, I mean, the team is what, 7-17, seven and 7-18 seven and right now? 7-18. 7-18. Seven and eight. seven and yeah, eight. Okay, so they could be, you know, by the time Christmas comes around, they'll, they'll be a third of the way through their schedule and on pace for 25 wins right now. But but you, you, the only really defensible position is you wonder if he's just like you know what I'm going to let these guys try to figure it out on their own before I instill it because I got to see what I have in these guys. But then you look at the guys that are on the floor and it's like these guys are supposed to be like long term NBA options. So shouldn't you know that already? Yeah, it's, it, it is really weird. Like and you, again, these are guys that have been with Lionel for over a year. You know, everyone except for Daddy Young who came on in February, so he's been there for months already. Should know either. Okay, we're down thirty. We're down five thirty-five seconds left. Um, we should pound stop the clock. And the problem isn't necessarily that they lost in that game. They're probably going to lose that game anyway. Like that's we have to remember that. Like that when you're down five or thirty-five seconds left, you're just throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks. But at that point, you have to know what you're throwing at the wall. Like that. That. That to me is what it, it's indicative of the failure in communication, rather than oh no, this play lost them this game. Right. Exactly. And yeah. it's it's it's. Well, it's, it's 30, a weird circumstance. It's 35 seconds to go in the New York market. So you're going to put it under the electron microscope, whatever the hell it is. They want to figure out why <laughs> the hell something didn't happen, and we, we all know that. Yeah, and it's indicative of a trend. Like, it's not the first time that the Nets have had, like, against the Warriors, Lionel wanted them to foul a three, and they didn't foul. Against the Lakers, uh, they had a five-second violation because they couldn't figure out their inbounds. Play. Like, this is like, it's a trend, and it's like, you, you have to wonder, like, why does this stuff keep cropping up? And there are a lot of close games, and that could have won, maybe lost by five or six or went to overtime. And, and that, that can swing your season early on. You know, they're 7 and 18. They could be, you know, 11 and 14 or 12 and 13 if a couple of games went the right way. Yeah, and the Clippers game is one of those. In, Cle- uh, in right. Cleveland as well, with LeBron hitting the game winner with the second left. The Warrior yep. game out there in Oakland. I mean, you, you, yep. there's 10 wins right there. I mean, you can't make it up. And they, they've lost three in a row, Devin. And I just want to go through this really quick. There's no break here for them t- for a month. This is their opponents for the next month. The Pacers, obviously, are next. Then the Timberwolves on Sunday. And you could say they're a break, but they're not. Uh, they're long, athletic, and, and they could and get up KG's and down the floor. And it's KG's return to Brooklyn, so it's going to be yeah an emotional night. Then you go to Chicago to take on the Bulls. Then you come back home for Darren Williams' return yep. uh, against mm-hmm. the Mavericks. Then the Wizards, who aren't playing well this year, but they're still a tough game the day after Christmas. Then they go down to Miami. Uh, they go to Orlando, uh, and Orlando just pasted them in Brooklyn. Then they have a home-and-home against the Celtics. Then they have the Raptors at home. Then they have the Magic again. And then they have the Pistons, then they have the Spurs, the Knicks, the Blazers, the Hawks, the Raptors, the Cavs, 
the Jazz, the Thunder, the Heat. That is the net schedule until January 26th. And, you know, as far as it getting a little easier after that 11, 11 out of the first 16 on the road to start the season, uh, it's going right back into the deep fryer once again. Right. And, and like, we, we and others talked about this stretch when they were in New York as, like, the respite from the beginning right. of opening brutal Absolutely. Stretch. And they went four and five in that stretch. Like, it was not, like, if you want to, like, take advantage of the schedule, you have to take advantage of the schedule. And then that's just missed a couple of close games. It's funny, when you read off that list, I kept hearing and I kept thinking, there's a team that's like a, a, like a young, quick backcourt. There's another team with a young, athletic backcourt. There's a team with like quickness in their backcourt. And this is like, that's like the Nets have a lot of trouble with quick backcourts. And that's every team in the league. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it's an issue. And yeah, and, and their backcourt is, is not the same. And, and at this point, you know, Joe Johnson, you remember seeing Michael Jordan in Washington. And Joe Johnson is not the player Michael Jordan is or was. No, no, nobody is. But it, it looks a lot like that, where it's like you you can see the writing on the wall that this is the beginning of the end of Joe Johnson's usefulness as an NBA starter. At this point, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you look at Joe Johnson and he's been so consistent for just ten years, not even just a three in Brooklyn, but just for the past decade. And all of a sudden, it feels like all of that is coming to a head this year. He's still a smart player. He's still a talented passer. The team's offense just falls off a cliff when he's off the floor. I was looking at the numbers yesterday. I think it's they're 10 points per 100 possessions worse on offense when he's on the bench um, just because he is a playmaker. But they're still not very good with him there because he's not making shots. He's not getting into a comfortable groove on the offense. He still has his field goal streak of like 900-something games, but he's already had a couple of like one for seven nights this year. It's it's weird because the, the, you talk about this season and you, the, all, the questions were all, you know, is, is Brooke Lopez going to be healthy? Or is the Brooks-Sad combo for real? Is Jarrett Jack going to be a distributor? And there weren't ever any questions like, oh, well, Joe's just going to be there. And, and Joe is not there. Like, Joe is not playing up to his, his standard of expectation. It's weird to watch it happen that way. Devin, I just went through all those games through January 26th. And... You know, there's a lot of Lionel had to quash the rumors about his job. He didn't really even quash him. He just said, "I'm here to coach. I'm hired to get fired." He really wasn't saying that he was very uh, secure. That's in sort his, of how he's coaching, too, right? To get fired, right? I think. He's not. He didn't really answer it where he's secure in his job security. Uh, but my question to you is: that is a brutal month and month plus stretch. Do you think he survives that stretch if the Nets don't pick, start picking this up and turn it around? Or, I mean, what's the alternative? I, I, I think he survives the season regardless because where do you turn? Right, and I think that's kind of like the, the Nets coming into this year were preaching continuity and core and commitment. And, you know, my, my, my whole thing, has my, my stance has generally been, I think as long as ownership stays the same, Hollins is Hollins is safe as long as Billy King is there and and Prokhorov is still there. But you know the way things have gone lately, and you're right on the on both fronts that there's not really another option. You know, Paul Westfall could take over an interim, I guess, but I don't really see him wanting to take over for Lionel when Lionel is one of his closest friends for the right. last twenty thirty years. There's not a lot of really options on the market. There's not a lot of people who would probably find this job particularly appealing. So, I, you know, it's, it's really it's weird. And then, and then on the flip side, if the Nets fire Lionel Holland, they have to pay him, I think, $10 million over the next few years to not coach. You know, they've had so much coaching turnover in the last two years that 
I don't know if that's like a, that's a thing that they want to do is that they want to you know spend money on a guy who's not going to coach so that they can find their I think it's their fifth coach in four years. I just don't see that happening. Well, it's, it's definitely it's definitely Prokhorov's prerogative whatever he wants to do, but. You know, that's the other thing, too, is Billy King built this team the way he did to make the run. The window was open. It got slammed shut last year. Um, and then the Hawks finally maybe nailed it down. And, and now we're, you know, year four into the Brooklyn experiment. And it's not going well, to say the least. And, and <laughs> you know, they've had five, you know, four or five head coaches, depending on how you want to count interim guys and this and that. Uh, you know, in in the era of of the Brook Lopez era, they've had what seven or eight Brook Lopez's mm-hmm. had, depending on how you want to count Tom Barise. But mm-hmm. y- you know, you almost wonder if if Prokhorov is eventually just going to say, you know what, this isn't working, we got to go outside. And then, obviously, just like in any sport, a new GM is going to want to bring in his own guy, whether or not it's Lionel. You know, if you got to pay him ten million dollars, the Marlins are paying three or four managers right now, so. If it's only a money issue, the Russian billionaire may not may be the wrong guy to say, well, I don't know about that. That's true, but they've also been cutting money a lot lately. So true. it's hard to know exactly where where you know Russian ownership lies on that. You know, if they already if they buy that this season is a lost season, which they might at this point, they might not want to shell out you know three or four million dollars more for somebody who's not going to be coaching. Um, you know, I, I you know I, I don't know I can't speculate on that because I don't know what Mikhail Prokhorov thinks about Lionel Hollins' performance and what he wants to do going forward. But like right now, it feels like they're kind of in a dead, like a dead zone, like where where Lionel Hollins can be a bad coach and or be a good coach and develop, you know, an offense in the next three or four months. Um, but at the same time, they're likely not going to make the playoffs, and they're looking towards free agency. I, I well, I'm glad you brought that up. We're all about the segues on this show. I can't, oh. tell, I can't <laughs> tell you who told me. I can't tell you where I heard it, but uh, I did hear from a little birdie that uh, a big-name free agent is interested in New York and not the Knicks. Uh, the big name, really? The big-name free agent, his initials uh, define him, uh, KD. And maybe, just maybe, there's a plan in place and maybe people know things already. Maybe he's coming here. Maybe he's coming here to own Brooklyn and, and, and take Brooklyn under his wing and bring some other people with him. I don't know. That's what I heard. Maybe they're waiting for that. Maybe this season is a loss. Maybe this is why Lionel is just biding his time. Maybe this is the move that, you know, reinvigorates Billy King as the GM. I don't know, but it could be. I, I, I assume by KD you mean Carpardian, comma, Devin. And I'm already <laughs> oh, here, Chris. Well played. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, last no, name but, first, uh, first name last. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously that would change everything. I, I've I've heard a lot of different things about Kevin uh, Kevin Durant. I don't know what he's going to do. I would imagine that Brooklyn is not his top destination. But I also think there's a lot of people in Washington who want to go home. And I'm thinking, you know, going home is not always the best situation for a player. Like it's not always you, you don't want to always want to put yourself back. It's in a lot of pressure. You were in high school. Like it doesn't always work that way. Right. Yeah. See how well that's worked for Carmelo Anthony, kind of, sort of. So it's all right for LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, LeBron is, yeah, I guess that's true. LeBron is his own animal. But then um, again, you you look at someone like Kevin Durant, and, and let's just put it this way: not whether, so much for Jason Day's wife, by the way. Whether oh, it's, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, whether it's DC, whether it's Brooklyn, whether it's wherever, if, if it's the Eastern Conference is Kevin Durant's final destination or next destination, as it may be. Oklahoma City didn't make the playoffs last year, despite they would have been what like the the six five or six seed in the East, but they didn't make right. the playoffs. It's a lot easier to win 
when you know it's a lot easier to just like they say, all you got to do is get into the tournament. It's a lot easier to win the tournament when it's a lot easier to get into it. And when you're in it, yeah, right, yeah. So you know, there, there's also that. And and there there isn't. I mean, we were just talking about this before we got you on, Devin. You know, Brooke. I wouldn't really necessarily describe him as a superstar, but he is a star player. Uh, take that as what you will. But KD could come in here and make Brooklyn his team. He can. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, absolutely. he can absolutely if, if, if do Durant that. Shows Brooklyn. And, and, yeah, that would be. Yeah, and you have him. And, and you have him and Brooke, and then free agents are going to want to come and play with this guy. So it could be the start of something. Now this is all speculation based on something I heard, uh, you know, secondhand. But if it does happen, you know, the Nets go from a team that's like on the periphery in New York to pretty much a team. That's on the same standing, or maybe even better than the Knicks. Oh yeah, definitely. As I think far as Durant, if he's healthy, does that to any team. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know what? I for one, I hope it happens because it just makes It'd be cool to cover it, KD. Yeah, it makes the New York landscape and basketball exciting again. You have Porzingis over in New York, who who's making a name for himself this year. You have a nice little base there that Phil Jackson has built around the square offense, <laughs> and uh, you'll also have. You know, a, a big time free agent coming to the other borough, and maybe starting a little something. And what's KD? Late twenties. Believe he's twenty nine. I, yeah. I believe yeah, 20, he's twenty nine, or he'll be thirty yeah. by the end hey, by next year. I'll take it. Yeah, and I'm sure and he's a been lot in the of league, fans. He's been in the too. league forever, so it's hard. Like you, you, you think about that too. Like you think what LeBron's what thirty two. Yeah. Thirty-one, something like that, and like you realize I he's been he's, in the yeah. le- he's been in the league forever because he came out out Pretty of high much. school, and it's been twelve, thirteen years now. Kobe too. Yeah, I th- yeah. I, I think LeBron's actually thirty. Yeah, I think he's. That's um, scary. He's born that is freaking or, scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he, he may have another it, six to seven years yeah. time left. Yeah. Right. And Durant's game is going to age well too because he's just so long and can shoot. I mean, that's the kind of thing that will keep you in the league for a long time. You know, again, barring his. He, I know he's had a couple of foot problems. If, he's, if his foot's healthy, he's, he, there's, there's nothing that stops him from being in the league for another eight, nine, ten years. Yeah. So it's something to think about. Dev, thanks for coming on, buddy. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Well, well hold that greeting because in breaking news, I will see you both Sunday and Wednesday. Oh, well, never mind, Lou. I, 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 I don't care about you anymore. I am coming <laughs> to the Barclays Center. <laughs> I will be that's, there that's for... That's a rare occurrence. That is, that, that's, a bigger, that's bigger news than KD maybe coming. <laughs> la, la, last year's lack of appearances at Barclays Center had a lot to do with the fact that I was out of work for a few weeks early in the season because I had eye surgery and then busyness and things happened. So it wasn't necessarily a, I don't want to go to Brooklyn last year. It was, I just didn't have the chance. But this year, Kevin, uh, Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, and Darren Williams coming back-to-back kind of kind of helps a little. So, so, Dev, it'll be the rare sighting of the lunicorn. <laughs> the lunicorn! Well played. Oh, uh, I was chomping at the bit to get that one out. As long as someone whose name rhymes with Fike Fazio doesn't get me sick, uh, we're good. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. At all. Nope. I don't know where you got that name from. Nope. Uh, oh wow. God, that's true. Now nah, we love Maz. That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> we Boom. Roasted. <laughs> Devin, thank you so much, buddy. We appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, guys. Take care. All Have right. a good one, Devin. There he goes, Devin Carparity, and that was good stuff. Always, always good, good stuff. stuff with I'm Devin. breaking a little news there with my 
hardcore speculation of a big-time free agent signing coming this way. How about that? So You never know who's going to break news. MLB.com's poor Mets.com editor accidentally broke Michael Kadire's retirement last week. There you go. Which we didn't get to talk about, because I think that happened on Friday and then in the Saturday, right? Somebody, so we didn't get to talk about it. Did you see somebody ask Kadire about managing? And he said, if I still wanted to be in uniform, I would be making the $12 million as a player next year. It's true, but I mean... That, that's a that's a weird thing. That's one of those things you see, and when you're someone like who's in my position, like you can, this we live in a society where social media will drag you down uh, if you make the slightest mistake. But yes. you know, when you're someone in my position, you see something like that, you know, people are going to pick up on that. That's a huge, mm-hmm. like that's just a huge blunder to, mm-hmm. to accidentally make. And then obviously he retired the next day on the Players Tribune, which is apparently the death knell blog. And this is for, not for careers at this point. This but. is not a sure thing. This is just something I heard, as I said, secondhand. But I figured I'd throw it out there at Devin to see if he maybe heard the same thing. He obviously didn't. But uh, the source is extremely credible. And if it happens, the Nets go from zeros to heroes. They do. It, it, it's immediate. And you know you you get a couple more free agents in here. You get a you get a starting point guard, and away you go. As I said at the end of, of that combo with Dev, the East is so wide open yes. that you know absolutely any team with a couple of good players in place. I mean, look at the Cavs; they were moribund with just Kyrie. But then you bring in back LeBron and bring in Kevin Love, and they're a fifty win team. It's can, two superstars, can, and that's all you need. Can you imagine like a Brooklyn and Cleveland finals? Be crazy. I'll get with LeBron against KD. Yes. If LeBron sticks in Cleveland, nuts. Be nuts. He's not going anywhere. He'll he'll be in Cleveland. He has those opt outs built in so he could keep making like fifty million. Well, is the opt outs built in because the collective bargaining agreement's going to expire and the salary cap keeps going up? The salary cap keeps going up, so he wants more money. So here's an interesting here's an interesting thought about that. So we can move on quickly to baseball, just because I know we don't have a lot of baseball planned because there's not much going on. Mm -hmm. Is there? I mean, it's just hot stuff season. It's indeed ninety seven guys have signed. So you look at, like, salary cap things and money and this and that. We were talking – one of the other things we were talking about yesterday in the post-hot stove fun time research discussion was – Is it a Japanese show? Yeah, it is. Mr. Sparkle is the host. (laughs) Uh, We we were talking about the qualifying offers and, and, you know, how you got to be willing to pay the guy $15 to keep him and this and that. And so as that all happens and then yesterday as the day continues to break, the Hisashi Iwakuma thing breaks where – he apparently fails a physical with the Dodgers, so his three-year, $45 million contract is off. And now Seattle has signed him to a one-year deal with two vesting options, which is like almost the best of both worlds for them because they probably got – I didn't see the exact numbers, but they probably got a little bit of a discount even from the 153 because the Dodgers deal would have been 15 per, 345, mm-hmm. so that's a discount. So they probably got a little of that. You know, They don't get the compensatory draft pick or whatever, but if something really goes haywire, it's a – 15-ish million dollar investment, and then he's out. If something goes haywire next year, it's a 30 million-ish investment, but you got one and change good seasons, and he's out, and so on and so on. It's the best of both worlds right there. That, that's, a, that's a hell of a score for the Mariners. After losing him to begin with. Right. But the, the point of that, too, was going into that was we were talking about the opt-outs with all these guys we're getting with Hayward and, and David Price and all that, and it just so happens that the opt-outs all come in the year where like the free agent class could be – the star-studded Hall of Fame free agent class that begins with Bryce Harper and continues with 37 other guys who've been all-stars in the last three years. So let them set the market. Let them set the out, market, opt out, and, and, and go for it. Get paid again. Just, you might as well just hand Bryce Harper the mint at this point and go from there. 
his market's in another world. So Yankee Stadium's going to have like a Scrooge McDuck The vault, money just bin. full of coins. So Bryce Harper could dive in off a diving board. Cartman will be there just throwing it up and yelling, Cal's money, like in that episode <laughs> of South Park. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in free agency. It's an interesting thing. That's the, the whole bring around point of that. that and that was our book. baseball discussion, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and Jason Hayward signed with the Cubs. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Johnny Cueto signed with the, the Giants. Johnny Cueto's a Giant. Hayward's a Cub. The Giants and Diamondbacks have great pitching. The Dodgers are scratching their head wondering what happened, and Colorado finished last. Well, there you go. And There's Don your NL West preview. And, and Don Mattingly's laughing all the way to the bank in Miami. You know who's not laughing all the way to the bank in Miami? He's the guy who's writing all their managerial checks for the guys that don't work there anymore. That's true. So he's, he's, He has a tough time going to the bank. Yeah. Either way, baseball shuts down over Christmas time anyway, so we probably won't have much... Much to discuss when we reconvene in January after our final Christian show of the year uh, next our, week. Our winter break. Right. Our two-week-ish. They have the winter, winter meetings. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm on vacation next week. So you want me to come in on a vacation day to do the last Christian show of the year? It, you don't have to. We, uh, he, here's, here's my play with this. <laughs> this is our 49th show. Well, this is like our 47th show together because I did one solo and one with AJ. But this is the 49th Christian show with this tandem as Tag the main team. host yes so the next one will be the milestone 50 so i mean you know you could want to blow it out who knows i mean whatever i'll come whatever in you want. i'll come in i mean i'm gonna be here it's an hour yeah it's an hour i'll go to the gym and come in we'll we'll do a podcast i'll go home we'll talk about the foosball yeah let's talk about the foosball now right now right now right now could i could i do my giant thing yeah of course <laughs> That was a terrible segue. All right. I, I, yeah, I've been waiting. Now football on the Chris Sheeran Show. All right. Um, all right. Giant fans, uh, especially this is at you who on Twitter, after the Giants beat Miami 31-24, started thumping your chest and stomping your feet, saying, bring on the Panthers. <laughs> you need some time on a couch with a licensed psychotherapist. You really do. And I'm going to explain why. They lose the first two games of the season. Dallas and Atlanta. Both brutal fourth quarter losses. Dallas is in the position they're in because they lost their starting quarterback and their star wide receiver for a time. And now their star quarterback is out for the rest of the season. What's Atlanta's excuse? They were 5-0. and Weak schedule. Oof. They started with Philly and it got worse from there. So here we go. So the Giants, we've righted the ship. We beat the Skins, Bills, and 49ers three weeks in a row. To bounce back, we're 3-2. and two. We should be 5-0. and oh. Let's go. This is our year. We head into Philly to make a statement. First offensive possession, right down the field. Odell Beckham Jr., touchdown, 7-0 Giants. That's it. We've got it. We've got it all fit. What had happened was... Wait, they didn't score for the next, like, 92 minutes of game time or something? Oh, my think? God. The Eagles, the rest of the game. And you know what it was? Besides not having a running game, Eli Manning, I don't... Th- maybe he was sacked four or five times that game. But he spent most of the night on his rear end. Mm-hmm. The Eagles made him extremely uncomfortable. Okay, so we're 3-3. Three and three. Next up, Dallas. 
get a little vengeance. No Romo. We're at home. They win. 27-20. Yay. Season's back on track. Four and three. Here we go. All right. Let's go to New Orleans. We don't play well there, you know, in our history. But we're going to go down there. We're going to get a win. We're going to figure it out. The Saints stink. The Giants scored 49 points. And lost. And lost. I want you to think long and hard, Giant fans. Just go back to 1985. That's it. Think of a time where a Giants team scored 49 points and lost. Think about it. We always had a good defense. Sorry I said we. The Giants have always had a good defense. A lot of my friends hate when I use we. I go either way. I don't play, which is true. But we're 4-4, four and four, 52-49. And they had a chance to win that game. That's by far the highest score in a losing effort this season. Yeah, it is. So then next week, season on the line yet again, they go to Tampa, and they win. 32-18. <gasps> We're back on track. We're 5-4. and four. And we come home, play the Patriots, beating them in the fourth quarter. <laughs> we lose. Why? We kick a field goal. That was very walking esque that segment. We lose. Why? Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. 27-26. When the Giants kicked that field goal to make it 26-24, I pretty much said I've seen this before. We lost. And that's what happened. Tom Brady gets the ball on a fourth and ten. Fourth and ten from the 20, their own 20. Hit Settleman for a first down. And away they go. They get the field goal. We're 5-5. Five and five. It's about time the Patriots got one of those against the Giants. They've given up two. So now you get a bye week. Let's settle in. We're 5-5. Five and five. It could be a lot worse, although it could be a hell of a lot better. You go to the Redskins. And you don't show up till the fourth quarter and you lose 20-14. to 14, You're 5-6. and six. Okay, moving on. Home game against the Jets. Another game. Winning in the fourth quarter, 20-13. to 13. Isn't that the game Tom Coughlin went for the touchdown instead of kicking a field goal? Yeah. Lose that one, 23-20 in overtime. Josh Brown misses his first field goal of the season to tie it up. Wide right. It was, they were up 10. And they were up 10. Up 10 and went up 13. But 17 would have made it a three-possession game, Correct. and that was the rationale after Correct. an 11-minute drive? Correct. Still, it's still, still a wrong rationale, just throwing yes. it out there. Yes, My team isn't any better. But so 5-7 and seven after the Jet loss. They go down to Miami last week, and they beat the Dolphins, who can't basically get out of their own way. Unless it's the second half in Philadelphia. 31-24, Eli Manning, an MVP-type performance in the game. Odell Beckham Jr. is pretty much the best wide receiver in NFL history through 25 games. All of his numbers. Oh, yeah. He looks like the biggest seal of the draft. Yeah, by far and away, he is ridiculous. And Last the Giants are 6-7 and seven in a three-way tie for first place in the NFC East with the Eagles and the Redskins. So after going through all of that malarkey that has been the Giants' season, so far this year, a season that, as my partner brought up last week, 
would have been 10 and 2 if the game ended with 75 seconds left. And now, obviously, 11 and 2. 11 and 2. Now, after the win against the Dolphins, you think that team that was 0 and 2, 3 and 2, 3 and 3, 4 and 3, 4 and 4, 5 and 4, 5 and 5, 5 and 6, 5 and 7, 6 and 7, is going to welcome a Panthers team in who is number two, the number two rushing team in the league, averaging just under 142 yards per game in that category. And I know... Which has made Jonathan Stewart one of the biggest steals of fantasy drafts. Right. I mean, Newton has a lot to do with that, too. And he's hurt. Right. But the Giants' defense against the run? 16. They're, They're half. They're in the ha- they're middle of the pack. Should be a good day for Cameron Artis Payne to get some extended action for the first time. Against the pass, they're 32nd. Overall, the Giants' defense is the 32nd-ranked defense mm-hmm. in the league. That is dead last, ladies and gentlemen. There are 32 teams in the NFL, in case you didn't know, and the Giants are 32nd in defense. Having said that, this defense has had this game, this team, in games. To the point where they could have won and could have been 11-2. and two. But the offense has let this team down more than once. The Jet game, going three and out and giving Ryan, Fitzpa- Ryan Fitzpatrick the ball back to tie it up on the pass to Marshall in the corner of the end zone. They went three and out. Going three and out after a drive that took 11-plus minutes and was however many plays that ended in nothing. Exactly. The off everybody wants to get on the defense and they're thirty they're ranked thirty second. You want to get on them? Fine. They stink, whatever. They have kept this team in games more than the freaking offense. Where was the offense in the loss to the Redskins? Where was the offense in the loss to the Patriots down the stretch? Field goals? You don't bring field goals to a touchdown fight. The offense showed up against the Saints. Put that one on the defense. You got you got to come up with some stops. And possibly put that on the Saints defense because they can't stop anybody. Where either. was the offense after the first drive and the loss to Philadelphia at the link? You got This is a team game. You can't just point fingers at the defense when you lose games like that. Let's continue with the Panthers and why you, why you should be checked if you think the Giants are going to miraculously give this team their first loss of the season. They are 11th overall in offense, 26th in the pass, but they don't have to pass because the running game is so good and they control the clock. Cam Newton doesn't really have to do too much. He does just enough, and he's having an MVP-type year. Oh, by the way, their defense is third overall, fifth against the pass, and fourth against the run. The Giants' rushing offense is 29th in the league, 88, under 88.5 yards per game. I don't. I can't remember a giant team that was that bad in the running department. Can, can I see that, that that notepad you have there? I want to make a point when you're yeah. when you're when you're um you're through with your Panthers love. So through all of that, through all of the numbers, if you could still sit there, if you are a baseball sabermetrician and you basically wake up and go to sleep and everything in between is war and defensive war and all those other, you know, consonants smushed together for stats. And that's what you base your life and that's how you base on building your team. 
If you're the same type of person and you're a giant fan out there and you can't look at and you look at these numbers and you think there's a chance that they're going to win on Sunday, any given Sunday, Chris, not this one. It's not happening. And I'm willing to bet something. I don't know what I can do, but I can guarantee you here on Friday that the Giants will be 6 and 8 come Monday. It's a guarantee. If they couldn't do it against the Patriots with that depleted offense that day, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. This this is the point I was going to make, and this speaks to the this speaks to the parity in the overall of the NFL, not even just the NFC East dumpster fire that rages on. Who are their first two games against again? Atlanta and Dallas. Yes, Dallas and Atlanta, Dallas actually, and then Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta started five and zero. They're one and one and eight cents. Yes, one and nine, whatever. One and eight cents. Dallas started two and zero. Lost Tony Romo. They're four and eight, four and nine now. Yeah. All right, you know, you, you lost to a team that that's bad, but they had their whole team. They didn't have Dez that week, right? Week two, they did not. They didn't have Dez. But or no, wait, no, was, they they had Dez in week one. In week one, okay, and he got hurt, and then he, the he was out for the next Dallas game. They didn't. So have. they had their whole team. Dallas. Okay. They did. And Atlanta, all right, you know, it's week two. They got off to a fast start. You mentioned Skins, Bills, 49ers. The Redskins are six and seven. The Bills are six and seven, mm-hmm. five and eight. The 49ers are bad. Bad. And Blaine Gabbert is better than Calvin Kaepernick, which is weird. But okay, so you beat two mediocre teams and a, and a bad one. Philly. Mediocre team. Dallas, you win that game. You should have. Half their team's missing. Mm-hmm. The Saints, mediocre team. Were they five, five and eight as well? They stink. Tampa Bay, they, they've they already played this week, so they've already got 14 games in the book, so they're, I believe, six and eight. Mediocre. Mediocre team. The Patriots, 11 and two. Okay, it's a good team. You lost. The, Red, the Redskins, you lose. Mediocre team. The Jets, the Jets at eight and five. The Jets at 8-5 and five are the second-best team the Giants have played, record-wise. Think about that. And Miami is, I think, 5-8 and eight now after, after that loss. Think about that. Think about that for a second. The two best teams, record-wise, the Giants have played all season are in the AFC East. Yeah. They're teams they play once every four years. Mm-hmm. The Panthers are obviously the best team. And regardless of what happens down the stretch with the Giants, because they play the Vikings and, then the, Eagles. and the Eagles. They have the roughest schedule. Depending on how the Jets and Vikings seasons shape up, the Vikings could end up being the third best team record-wise the Giants right. have played. But either way, the Giants... And they also flex that to Sunday right. night. Either way, Vikings, Jets are going to be 3-4, because Carolina and New England will be 1-2. Think about that. They're a mediocre team. Where the 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 second best team they've played is eight and five. It's mediocre everywhere, and you could be eleven and two if games ended it's, with seventy five seconds. And not only that, they scored fourteen points in a game in Washington against Washington where they didn't show up till the fourth quarter. Everybody points back to two thousand seven when they turned the season around, and two thousand eleven when they turned the season around. This isn't those seasons. You don't have those defenses. You have Eli Manning. And Odell Beckham Jr. You have an offensive line that is being held together with uh, dental floss 
Eric Flowers, God bless that guy, he's playing on one ankle. Let's be honest. He's out there. There was a Eli Manning got planted uh, in Miami last week. I forget the guy who hit him. He got rid of the ball. It was an incomplete pass. But Flowers basically backed up, like kind of brushed at the guy, and the guy just went right by him and drilled Eli. He's out there. He's basically a chess piece you could push over, but he's out there. He's gutting it out, and he's playing on a bum ankle, and he's probably going to do that again this week. That is your blind side. He's going to do that until the Giants are eliminated. Yeah, against the Panthers defense that has the third most sacks in the league with 40. Good luck with Jared Allen, buddy. Exactly. Eli Manning is going to be on his back more than he's going to be on his feet. That's just a fact. The Giants do not have a running game. Rashad Jennings is a great running back. The Giants' offense is not good. Their line is not good. They are putting it together. Look, I, I don't, this is a very difficult thing for me to do because the guys go out there and they scrap every week and they play hard. I, do, I, I hate when, when radio hosts or podcast hosts sit in a chair in, a, in an office, in a studio, what have you, and they rail on guys that pretty much get hit in the head for 60 minutes <laughs> every Sunday. And they lay it out there on the line and they play hurt. So let me preface it by saying that. But they're just, they just don't have it. They're not good. You know, losing your starting center west in Richburg, it's kind of like, it's not the same as your quarterback, Lou. But it's the big. quarterback is the, the, the head of the snake. But the center, he's calling out all the protections. He's the guy the quarterback trusts the most. Eli Manning, when his starting center is there, he feels a hell of a lot better dropping back in the pocket than he does when a backup is in there. If Eric Flowers goes down, don't think for a second that Eli Manning's clock inside his head has changed from I got five seconds to I got about two and a half seconds. And again, that's not a knock on the backup, but these are things you have to think about. They have 40 sacks. 40. That's third most in the NFL. They've got a defense that's third overall. Fourth against the run, fifth against the pass. You're talking about a giant team that can't run the football. I told you they're, they're what? They're 29th in rushing. 29th. If you can't establish a run game against this Panthers defense, and they could pin their ears back with just three or four down linemen and get after Eli with seven in coverage, it's going to be a long freaking day for the Giants. I'm telling you that right now. I'm just being a realist. This is a game where if Shane Vereen doesn't have a big game, you could turn it off at halftime because he becomes the running game. He becomes the check down guy that becomes the running game against a very aggressive Panthers defense. They're sending a linebacker. You're hitting Vereen over the middle. Yeah. That's, that's what you have to look for. This could be a very long Sunday afternoon for Eli Manning and company. And this is exactly why this one didn't get flexed. Because they know it could be one of those games that turns out to be like 38 to nothing. They don't want that on Sunday night. So the Giants beat Miami, right? They lost to the Jets. They yeah. lost to the Patriots. What happened against Buffalo? They again? beat them. They beat Buffalo? Okay. 
You want to hear something ridiculous? Yeah, hit me. Remember last week when we talked about scenarios for a team to win the NFC yes. six and ten? Yes. Well, that got shot to hell because every team won. Right, and the Cowboys lost. Right. If the remainder of that scenario plays out, and out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven, nine, twelve, there's nine games left mm-hmm. out of that scenario. For the there's nine games left involving NFC teams. Okay. NFC teams. The Cowboys beating the Jets, although it's in Jerry World, is about the only one that you look at. The Panth- it's Cowboys over Jets, Panthers over Giants, mm-hmm. the Bills over Redskins. Buffalo's been that team all year, so have the Redskins. Mm-hmm. Cardinals beating the Eagles, even though it's in Philly. Right. Yeah, easy to see that. Eagles beat the Redskins. Okay. They should have beat them the first time. Right. Bills beat the Cowboys. Again, mm-hmm. it's been that kind of season. Vikings uh-huh. beat the Giants. You can see it. Yeah. The Cowboys have already beaten the Redskins, and you can see the Giants beating the Eagles because if that scenario plays out in those seven games in Week 15 and 16 play out correctly, then the Giants go into Week 17 knowing that if the Cowboys beat the Redskins, which they've already done this year, mm-hmm. that if they beat the Eagles, mic drop, they're the NFC's champions at 7-9 and nine because they have a better conference record than the 7-9 and nine Eagles. Oh, Welcome to the doghouse. I thought you were talking about dumpster fire. The dumpster fire, well, the, the, the dumpster <laughs> fire is long range on. But no, uh, if, if the remainder of that scenario plays out the, that, that way and those nine results happen as it is, the Eagles and Giants will be tied at seven and nine. And the tiebreaker is the fact. So the Giants could lose to the Panthers and yep. Vikings and still be the NFC East champions. Yeah, because what it will be is it will be seven and nine. They'll have matching three and three division records. This is, the, split. This, is, this is the Redskins losing out, no? Uh, Bills beat Redskins, Eagles beat Redskins, Cowboys beat yeah, This is the Redskins yeah. losing out. Redskins have to lose everything. So they, they would be 3-3 three and three both in the division because uh-huh. they've split Then it goes to conference series. record. It goes to conference record. The Eagles are 3-1 and one against the AFC. So their conference record at 7-9 and nine would be 4-8. and eight. The right. Giants are 2-2 two and two against the AFC, so at 7-9 and nine, their conference record would be 5-7. and seven. They win the NFC. So. Wow. That's amazing. I just, I, that is freaking amazing. It's unbelievable right? that that could happen. I'm just speechless. To, to now, look, we we all knew all that three teams. Realistically, I mean, the, the Giants team, don't technically control their own right. destiny, but realistically, they do. It's the Eagles and Redskins because they play each other. But technically, the Giants yeah. could. They just got to win out. But we knew the team that won this division was probably going to be under 500. Mm-hmm. So it's not that big of a shock, but the way that would shake out would be the biggest shock of them all. The Giants losing two in a row, and then Week 17, knowing that if they mm-hmm. beat the Eagles and the Redskins lose to the Cowboys, mm-hmm. they're the NFC East champions. That's actually the reason the Giants do control their own destiny, is because the Eagles play the Redskins, so if they all if they all theoretically win out elsewhere, one of them will be eliminated by losing. Right. And then the Giants could have a better... The Giants could have a better conference record than mm. than that. It's time to go dumpster diving. <sighs> I, speaking of mediocrity, I'll save the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame stuff for next week. While okay, we're, while we're doing that because it's it's fun. Congratulations to the five inductees. I'm a big fan of four of them. Um, not really, not really a huge fan of of Deep Purple, but I mean, everybody okay. knows Smoke on the Water, but. All right. I was a big fan of Chicago, big fan of NWA, Chicago. Steve Miller Band, mm-hmm. and uh, Cheap Trick. You, stupid. That's Howard Stern. Uh, I want to give props to somebody, and I forget the author's name. It's the lead college football national columnist for Bleacher Report, and I forget his name, and I apologize for that. That's, that's bad optics out of me. 
but you want to speak about mediocrity. This, this is what he wrote. On December 26th, and I'll just preface this before I say it. On December 26th, the Nebraska Cornhuskers will be playing in the Foster Farms Bowl. Do you know what Foster Farms is? No. no they're the corporate sponsor of this bowl. Pepperidge Farm? Whatever it is. Snoopy and Prickly Pete live on Pepperidge Farm. Yep. Here's the story, and I'm going to read the first six paragraphs because half of them are one sentence. The payday will be about $1.8 million for Nebraska. And the group going along for the party will include not only the football players, but also 750 others, including the band, the cheerleaders, administration, and family. They'll trek to the Bay Area to celebrate the Huskers in the Foster Farms Bowl on December 26th. It's at AT&T, mm-hmm. AT&T Stadium. Is that what the Giants Stadium is called now? AT&T? The San Francisco Giants Baseball Stadium. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where it is. Okay. Pac Bell, AT&T, Verizon, right. pick a phone company. <clears throat> I continue. Yes, it'll be a big celebration of Nebraska's season. Nebraska's losing season. The Huskers won five games and lost seven. Wait, 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 what? Five wins, $1.8 million, $360,000 per win. I thought you you had to be 6-6 six and six to be bowl eligible. I you thought do. you had to be 500. You well, do. What's going it, it, on? It continues. I'm very glad they're going, said Johnny Rogers, Nebraska's Heisman Trophy winner in 1972. Very deserving. They have a first-year coach, and they were in almost every game they played. Just have to have a little tweaking. And right there, one of the best college players in history, a player who won two national championships and three Orange Bowls in three years at Nebraska, perfectly sums up the new math on what it means to go to a bowl game. They were in almost every game, now equals very deserving. When Rogers played for the Huskers from 1970 to 1972, Losing two games over three years equaled very deserving. In 1972, there were a total of 11 bowl games for 22 elite teams. This year, there are 40 bowls for 80 in almost every game they played teams. Nearly two-thirds of all major college teams play in the postseason, and three of them, Nebraska, Minnesota, and San Jose State, got in with five and seven records. I'm going to read this whole thing. It's almost over. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. The money has gotten so big in college football that it's actually getting hard to find enough pockets to put it in. Ugh. Insane amounts of it end up being awarded for failure. And that's the argument taking hold about the Bulls this year. It falls right into the debate about awarding ribbons for participation. I was just going to say that. Or, in this case, awarding $1.8 million, according to Foster Farms Bowl Executive Director Gary Cavalli. Columnists and analysts seem to be outraged over this. But here's the thing. And I agree with him. There's nothing wrong with it. Bowl games have changed. They aren't rewards for the best teams anymore. They're TV programming, that's, mostly that's for ESPN, which needs too. stuff to put on that's the air. That's true, too. Nebraska versus UCLA, who they're playing in the bowl, isn't bad TV. So we keep getting more and more. You know, Kudos, to, kudos yeah. to that guy. He makes, he makes a great point. And this, Absolutely. Is, this is fun because Bryant Gumble was on uh, Michael K. Gumble to Gumble. Hey, Dad. Brian Gumbel was on Michael K. the other day, uh-huh. and they were talking about paying college athletes, and he mentioned a point, you know, about things. You know, he mentioned how do you differentiate pay between, you know, levels of player, but, you know, how, do, how many jerseys do you think Florida sold of Tim Tebow in the years he was there? And, you know, he's right. What he was also right is that, and somebody else said this on the radio yesterday, is that you can turn on the TV over the next couple weeks while you're off and I'm off. You can turn on ESPN specifically. You can turn it on pretty much any time of day over Christmas break. And you're going to find a college football game, college basketball game. Those kids don't have time off. They're still out there working hard. They're still out there providing TV content. 
And realistically, that's what bowl games are. Most of them are going to college for free, aren't they? A lot of them, yep. So, so here's what happened with this five and seven, because I know you're asking the question. There's contingency rules because there's now more bowl games than ever. There are contingency rules in the, the bylaws of NCAA football that if not can, enough – Can you, know, you bet on the Foster's Bowl? You can. It's Australian for beer. There you go. Um, you can – you know, you have the qualifications for what you need to be bowl eligible. And then if not enough teams are bowl eligible, it goes down by tiers. And five and seven teams are like the third tier down because there's like six and six teams that beat two FCS teams and this and that. Mm-hmm. And Missouri would have qualified, but they decided not to go after everything that happened. Right. Late in their season, they right. said, we're shutting it down. Yeah. So that's why one of those three teams, probably San Jose State, would have been sitting at home. Because mm-hmm. Nebraska-Minnesota, big big power conferences, big teams. The Jerry Kill situation in Minnesota is a feel-good story for them as well. So it's probably San Jose State, though. Who I once took to an undefeated season in a national championship in, like, NCAA football 04 when they were the dregs of the league. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that there's, there's 40 freaking bowl games. That's now, ridiculous. you look at people who say, all right, the NBA is watered down with 16 out of 30 teams, or the NHL with 16 out of 30 mm-hmm. teams getting the playoffs, or even the NFL with 12 out of 30. And people were all up in arms that baseball added two teams to make it 10 out of 30 instead of 8 out of 30. 80 out of 128. That's it's Technically 127 because Charlotte was not bowl eligible because they're transitioning to, to Division 1A. They would have been ahead of... They would have been the, the next caveat was teams reclassifying that would have been bowl eligible otherwise can get in. So, like, even if Charlotte went undefeated, they wouldn't be bowl eligible. But they could have been if not enough teams make it. And, and he's right. Temple had the best season in school history. Mm-hmm. They've won 10 games twice. This year was one of them. They lost to Notre Dame at home in a game they led with two minutes ago. They pulled the Giants. And they lost to Houston who's headed to the, uh, I that, believe, the Orange Bowl. That was the AAC championship. In the AAC championship. I believe they're headed to the Orange Bowl. I forget where they're. I think they're playing Florida yeah. State in the Orange yeah. Bowl. They had a bad loss at USF. But even still, the conference championship game would have dictated where they were. So even if they'd beaten USF, they'd be 11-2. It would be the best season in school history. They're, uh, they're playing in the Boca Bowl on December 22nd at 7 p.m. against the mighty, 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 mighty Toledo football team. That's the bowl temple. It's temple not? versus Toledo on December twenty second. Because the American Athletic Conference is not seen as as the equal of the Big Five, even though there's four very good teams. Memphis and Navy also had very good seasons, and Navy's going to like the Poinsettia Bowl, and Memphis is going to the like Temple should be playing after Christmas. Memphis is going to the Carnation Instant Breakfast Bowl playing or some other before garbage. Christmas is is garbage. Yeah, but there's forty bowl games, so where are they all going to be? Because there's only three that matter on New Year's Eve and three that matter on New Year's Day, the New Year's Six, the two national semifinals, and then the four other bowls, and everything else is scattered around. The Humanitarian Bowl is January 3rd or something like that, and that's another garbage matchup. This is what pisses me off even more about college football. If there's so many bowls, if there's 40 bowls... What point does it mean anything? But why does the national championship only have four teams then? Why don't we expand that? If there's that many freaking bowls, why can't it be a 16-team tournament? We broke this down last year. I'm not going back An to that. An 18 tournament, 16-team They're worried about playing games and more games and more games. And the problem with that is, is when you get to, there's There's 40. Right. When, when you get to the next level. Now, think about this in theory. <laughs> 
if do we really need the Belk Bowl? Do we really need bowls before yeah. Christmas? I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Poolan Weed Eater Independence Bowl myself uh. because I love Poolan and weeds. Uh, think about this in theory. This is the maximum a team could play. Any team that goes to Hawaii gets to play a 13th game because they have to go to Hawaii. So if it's an East Coast team, it's a six-hour time difference. You're playing a game that's basically at 7 in the morning your time if it's mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So say I'm going to pick a random East Coast team that has a conference championship game that could have a bizarre season but would still play Hawaii. I'm going to pick Temple. Say Temple goes out to play the Rainbow Warriors. Mm-hmm. And even if Jeff Gordon himself is there, the original Rainbow Warrior, <laughs> that was his nickname. It was. Uh, they go. It was a NASCAR reference. Yeah, they go thirteen and zero. Hey, good season, Temple. They still got to play the American Athletic Conference Championship game, so we'll say they give Navy a beatdown, and what'll be a great game. And they're fourteen and zero. And holy, you know what? Yes. Temple has made the national championship playoffs, and they go in and they play. Eh, they they get Michigan State in the first round. Sorry, Sparty. Hooters taking over. We win. Win or lose in that national championship game, that's their 16th game of the season. How many games do they play in the NFL, Chris? 16. So what are you worried about more and more and more and more? Half of these are taking place over Christmas break. Now, yes, does it suck for college athletes who don't get a Christmas break? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, you know who else it sucks for, the people that don't get a Christmas break? Everyone else in the workforce. That poor schmuck at Target on December 26th working the returns line when everybody comes in and returns their Christmas presents. Yeah. That poor schmuck that works at Walmart or any Toys other... Toys R Us. Toys R Us or anywhere else that has to be at work at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving because Black Friday is going to become black all the time by the time our lives are over. Uh-huh. So I, I don't feel too much... I mean, I, I understand, but I don't feel too much sympathy for these guys that you're worried about them playing an extra game unless you're worried about having to pay them uh, eventually. Well, you know what? So, yeah, you know what? I'm going to enjoy it. If it wasn't for the fact that I have to go to be in Brooklyn the next night, I would probably be at the Boca Bowl on December 27th. How about we let them all go to, to school for free and we let them get a second helping of pasta? How's that? Does that work? How about we just let everybody in? Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to see... Wouldn't you love to see at the end of a long, grueling one in eleven season? Wouldn't you love to see UMass get one more chance? And at the end of a long, grueling one in eleven season, Idaho is right there. No, and you say, you know "Hey, what? Idaho! Hey, UMass! Guess no. what? You're in the two thousand flushes toilet bowl." No, I, I, I wouldn't want to see that. But I would want to see another. I would want to see one more game. And I'll tell you what conference: the Ivy League. Those kids bust their rear ends all season long, and they don't get a playoff. I, and even if you tie, you could, you could have beaten the team that ties you in the standings and, and is a co-Ivy League champ. Like if it's Harvard and you beat Yale. And Yale but you ha- lose to Penn and that's Yale's only loss. Penn and Yale has the same record as Harvard. Guess what? You're sharing that Ivy League championship with Harvard. These guys, I, I used to do it for yes. And, you know, you could say what you want about Ivy League football, but they – Leave everything on the freaking field. And they're top-of-the-line students. And they're top-of-the-line athletes in that conference. And they deserve. It'll never happen. Because I've had this discussion with ADs. 
I've had this discussion with SIDs at the at the at the campuses I've been on to do these games, and I and my question to them was all the same: Why not one more game? Take the top two teams in the standings and just have the Ivy Bowl. Have it at a neutral location and play one more game and let these kids have a true champion. Why not? Why not? They don't get bids into the, the 1AA playoffs either, right? No. For that? No. And it, the Ivy League doesn't have a – the Ivy League also doesn't have a tournament. They're academics. They're not about football players. They're also the only conference in Division One basketball that doesn't have a, a tournament. Right. Which correct now, this is the thing about it. Same kind of thing, by the Mar- way. March mad March Madness is March Madness, and it's going to be March Madness no matter what. Within our lifetime, it would not be a shock if there's three Division ones in college football, where there's sixty teams in Division one one, and you know who those sixty teams are if you can just think of the five power conferences in Notre Dame, and then there's eighty teams in Division B one one which are the other 68 and then maybe 8 to 10 that say hey well we can compete with we can compete with Temple and Toledo and Idaho and not so much Nebraska and and Michigan and then the rest in division 1 AA or FBS or whatever it's FCS whatever it's called now because that's the way it's going because that's really all that matters the thing about March Madness and we mentioned it earlier with the the NBA is that all you got to do is get in the tournament and there's a chance yeah absolutely well you know what Delaware State is Temple's next opponent in basketball. And Delaware State is 0-10. And, and Delaware State knows that all they got to do is win four games in March, and they're going dancing. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say, oh, well, that cheapens the regular season that everybody gets in and this and that. But let's be fair. Everyone else in the MEAC, including Delaware State, and everyone else in the SWAC, and everyone else in the uh, the Patriot League, and everyone else in the Ivy League, almost always, because I think the Ivy League did once get an at-large berth, and everyone else in the the Summit League, and everyone else in the Southland Conference, and everyone else in all of those other teams that combined have, like, two at-large bids ever, they know at the beginning of the season that really, no matter what they do the first 30, 35 games of the year, it's those half a dozen in March that count. They know that going in. But you know what? They know going into the season that it's those half a dozen in March that count, and that's all they care about. Unfortunately... The American Athletic Conference being what it is, you know, they got some decent exposure. And Houston won the the AAC and was the best group of five team and got a New Year's Six Bowl. And that's their that's their nugget. That's their their one seat at the big boy table, so they don't have to sit at the the plastic picnic table with the rest of the kitties before Christmas. But how much do you think, on a regular basis, Akron thinks they've got a shot at the national championship? How Never. much? How much at the beginning of the season do you think? New Mexico State thinks they have a chance in the national championship. That's How much of a chance do you think that Georgia Southern in the Sun Belt Never. thinks they have a chance in the national Never. championship? They don't. They don't. And you know what? Realistically, Georgia Southern and McNeese State and Lamar and North Dakota and NJ Tech and I could name 200 other teams. That Kennesaw State. That realistically have, have no chance of winning March Madness. But you know what? No one thought VCU had any chance of winning March Madness when they were in the first four a couple years ago. And look what Shaka Smart did. Well, that's what what makes it so – that's what makes March Madness March Madness. And that's why people watch and it's exciting. And the referees, for the most part, let those kids play. There's flow in those games. They're exciting. You could have a 15-2 beat 
uh, the Richmond Spiders did that for me back in 1991. The Qs was not in the house for long. No, they were not. And I was a very happy boy. And when when and you may remember this because you may have been in the area. I think you were just uh, you were in college, maybe still. But I believe it was the 1996 or 97 tournament when NC was the one seed. And here came the lowly Fairfield Stags out of the Metro Athletic Atlantic Conference. And they had a lead on North Carolina with four minutes to go yeah. in that game. And we're four minutes away from being the first 16 to ever beat a one. They I was, didn't, and I nobody was, has. Yeah, I was just out of school at that point. But uh, you know what? That was Fairfield season right there, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's a win. Florida Gulf Coast, dunk you. Look what they did a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the Richmond Spiders, a 15 beating a three. Who was it that beat Kansas a couple years ago? Same thing. Was it a 14 or a 15? 15 beating a two. That's what makes it great. Right. I, you know, football, that, you don't have that chance. No. In football, they don't even have the chance no. to have that chance. No. But that's what's terrible. And you have 40 bowls. But you know what? On January 4th at Ford Field... The sixth place team from the MAC will be playing the Sun Belt champion in the Ford Motor City Bowl. And Toledo will be playing Temple in the Boca Bowl. And UCLA, who didn't even win enough games to be bowl eligible under normal circumstances, will be playing or Nebraska, I'm sorry, will be playing UCLA in the Foster Farms Bowl. They make turkeys, by the way. Foster Farms. Foster Farms is like a turkey manufacturer. Awesome. And the Belk Bowl will happen and the uh the the Fight for the Cure Bowl and the Idaho Famous Potatoes Bowl and the Salad Bowl and the Decorative Bowl. And eventually, I'm sure, the 2000 Flushes Toilet Bowl will pit the two yeah. worst teams in the con- in the league. And it goes on and on and on. And really, it's not a reward anymore. It's just an extra game. It's just another game on the schedule. Because we've been, we've been taught that there's three games that matter. There's 41 postseason college football games. Three of them matter. And in real- reality, one matters – and the other two only matter because they determine who plays in the one. You've done, you've done it. You've gotten us to the magic hour. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to enjoy the Belk Bowl next Tuesday night. You do that. And I'm going to enjoy the Boca Bowl especially because, damn it, I'm proud of my alma mater. It'll be like the eighth college football game I've watched this season because I don't care on the whole about it anymore because of what it's become. You won't, you won't find me watching any bowls before January 1st. It just won't happen. Will not happen. I refuse. I'll be playing uh, some a game that involves cups and ping pong balls in my basement on December thirty first. I, I, national semifinal. I will check out the pinstripe bowl because seeing Yankee Stadium dressed up always looks yeah, nice. Yeah, I usually guys. cover the pinstripe bowl. This year, I actually have a friend getting married the weekend after Christmas. <clears throat> um, he's he's Jewish, so he's Christmas is not his. So holiday. he doesn't care. Yeah. So Christmas is not his holiday. So he picked the weekend after Christmas to get married. But so I will not be at Duke versus Indiana. But Usually I do go to the pinch bowl. Should be a good game, too. Both high-octane yeah. offenses, but mm-hmm. uh, Indiana's defense, not so good. You can see all about all that and more in our pinch bowl preview show, which premiered last night. We'll be running for the next week and a half. Ah, the synergy on the show. It's amazing. All right, for Lou DiPietro, Lou DiPietro, yes, I'm at Chris Sheeran, yes, I'm the Twitter machine. We'll see you next time uh, next week on the Chris Sheeran Show, our 50th Chris Sheeran Show podcast. Later, everybody.